We good? That's good. Maybe turn down a little bit. Uh, thank you, Hannah, Paul. Thank you very much. Um, I do want to just say to you this morning, Dave McWhorter is here, but Kayleen, uh, it's over, been over a week ago. She actually fell and she broke her wrist in several places. I had to do surgery on that. She's better. She's home. She's recovering. And obviously she's had, and she broke her hip. How long ago was that Dave when she broke her hip? Yeah, so she broke her hip last year, and now she fractured that wrist in multiple places. Just obviously keep her in your prayers. April Smith, I think I mentioned this last week. I've been in communication with David. The cancer that she is struggling with is metastasized, started in the brain. It's now in her clavicle. They're doing some really aggressive treatments. Her attitude, I think, her spirit's good, but it's been very difficult for them. Obviously keep uh, Dave, April, their children in your prayers. Um, though the House of Hope was supposed to be here this morning, they had a scheduling conflict, and so uh, I think they'll be here next week. We'll let you know on that, and we're just privileged to be able to do ministry with them. They're, uh, man, the work that uh, God is doing through that ministry is outstanding, and we get to, we get to be a part of it. So, again, now I want to just ask you, we've got a lot of people on the traveling. Uh, it's that summertime. Uh, be in prayers for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are on the road uh, just getting some time off this summer with their kids. So I, I want to redirect you again to just a couple of verses in that John chapter one. This will be part one of this sermon. Next week will be the second part. Uh, and so, yeah, good, okay. And so I want to, um, go back to that first chapter in the gospel of John that, that, uh, that Paul just read, uh, talking, John, the Baptist talking, and then John, the writer of this gospel, talking about um, about Christ, God, his will, his purpose. Um, I want to begin in verse 9 again. Chapter 1, the gospel of John. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. This is in reference to Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. All of this talking about Christ. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And then this verse here, this statement here, uh, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But of God. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know in the third chapter, uh, John records the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in that great verse that uh, so many, even in the world, non-Christian and even secular knows, that John 3.16 uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That was part of a discussion that Jesus was having with this uh, teacher, this Pharisee. Uh, and, and it's about being born again. And so this statement here, though, again, uh, if you're a child of God, you were born not of blood, nor the w will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. Now, so the title of this sermon is the will of God, the will of God. 
I want to transport you back to a period of time in my life that was integral in my mentoring and development uh, preparation for ministry. It had a great, great influence. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Jim Mankin, absolutely, in my opinion, one of the finest gospel preachers that I had ever known. And in a group of individuals that were preparing for ministry um, and part of a readiness for ministry class, uh, he made a statement that has resonated with me uh, since 1997. It's been a part of my daily thinking and uh, where my heart is in ministry, the foundation for that. But he made a statement and he started it with a question. And he said to this class of individuals, he said, what is inevitable? What is inevitable? That it's going to happen, whatever, it's just going to happen. Now, he, we had a 15-week assignment in relationship to this question and what it had to do with the gospel, the good news, the, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, our forgiveness of our sins, and then our life with him on the basis of faith. But so he said, what is inevitable? And then, so as we would launch into this 15-week thesis, he, he would point to all the teaching from Genesis to Revelation. And then the foundation or the answer to that question, what is inevitable, was two things. He says there's only two things that are inevitable in all the history of humanity. There's only two things that are inevitable. One is our birth and death. If you're born, you're going to die physically. Inevitable. It's just inevitable. If you've been born physically, if you're living here, uh, as the birth was given, death is inevitable. The second thing that he said that is inevitable is the will of God. And, and then we had to disprove that. We had 15 weeks to disprove that statement. Uh, philosophically, historically, uh, biblically, which if you could, uh, on different parameters. But the premise was there is only two things that are inevitable. Now, then the landscape was, okay, if that's true, and it is true, historically, biblically, spiritually, it's just true. How do we, what is the history of humanity? Have we lived our lives that way? If, have, you, have you and I, if you spent, if you calculated or you, man, if you journaled the, the activity of your life, everything that you put your time, energy, effort, money, all those things, uh, have you and do you and I live our lives based upon the two inevitable things, our birth and our death, we're going to die, and we don't know when we're going to die. We have no idea when we're going to die. We have no idea what we're going to die of. But we're going to die. It's inevitable. And then the only other thing that is inevitable is the will of God. And then, so do I, how much time? If, not if, that being true, then how much of my time from the time I get up in the morning to when I go into bed at night, do I think of the inevitable? Do I really think of it? Okay, today could be my last day. I know what the scripture says. It says, today is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. So that's the will of God. He made the day. It's inevitable that I'm going to die. Do I live my life according to that? Do I seek him? Do I desire him? 
What are my anxieties? What is it that I'm worried about? I mean, the scripture says the will of God is to be anxious for nothing. But and so again, any framework, anything in your life from those two positions, my death is inevitable. The will of God is inevitable. Then measuring that in my, the way I live my life, my understanding of living, the purpose of my life then being here, knowing it's someday that I'm going to die and God has a will, even yes, a will concerning me in my life. And it's inevitable and nothing else is inevitable. Everything else is temporary. Now he would say even the temporary is inevitable, but that has to do with the death and the will of God. And so you're going through this whole thinking now. It's certainly biblical and it's certainly true. I was born to die and the will of God is inevitable. So if that's true, and it is true, there is something else that's happening or that does happen and it's called my daily living. Now, conflict. What is the source of the conflicts in your life? Do you have any conflicts? Well, you do. I, in our class this morning, yeah, there's conflicts raising our children. There's conflicts in just being married. There's conflicts within family. There's conflicts uh, if you own a business with employees. There's, I mean, we have just conflicts. We have health. Our conflict with our health. This body is, no matter how good you take care of yourself, it's aging to die. And so we have health, we've got relationships, everything. We've got financial conflict in our life, or concerns, we, all those things. And so now, how important are you versus how important is God? What do you mean? Well, so if there's only two inevitable things, and there are only two inevitable things in this world, my death and the will of God, and as I live on this planet in whatever time that I'm afforded, there's conflict. There's just this, this conflict. And Jesus said, I came in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He said, I came so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, that's his will. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Throughout the Gospel of John, he said, I came to do my Father's will. So if you've seen him, you've seen the father, you just, we read that great passage that it's Christ who even explains he is the, well, the only begotten of God. He's the one who has explained God and he came to do his father's will. And he would even say, this is my father's will. And so you and I, whatever the source of our conflicts are living under the reality and the umbrella of what's inevitable, uh, then, so either the scripture is true or it's not true. It's either true or it's not true. Go to Proverbs with me. Just go to Proverbs and let's go to chapter 16, Proverbs. There's so many verses here, but just this statement. I'm going to look at actually chapter 14 as well. So, but I will start in chapter 16, just one verse, verse 9. Um, the mind of man plans his way. The mind of man plans his way. But the Lord directs his steps. The Lord directs his steps. It's inevitable. 
Go to chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And in Isaiah 66, the prophet would say, man's righteousness is like a filthy rag unto God. So we have our way of doing things. Uh, We have our plans and we have what we think is righteous. And the scripture very clearly uh, stands in conflict to that. There's only one way. And that's God's way. And God's way is according to his will. God's will is God's way. And so the source of all of our conflict, the source of all of your conflict, the source of every conflict that you and I have in our life is based upon this truth. And I remember having this uh, reiterated over and over and over and over again in my uh, ministry in the College of Biblical Studies and the mentors and all of the teaching was that For instance, as a preacher, somebody comes to you for counseling. Their marriage is in trouble, whatever the issue is. There's a division in their family. Uh, There's a conflict at work, whatever it is. By the time they come to the preacher's office, it's bad. People, that's the last stop. They'll try just about anything in any... They turn to our... We turn to our own methods and then maybe friends and then family and then maybe we might even read a book. But at some point, if you're a Christian, you think, well, maybe I'll go to the preacher. And so by the time they get here, one of the great truths that was taught and then I've lived and seen, it's usually the last resource. It, it, so many other things have been taking place. And so, well, okay, I'll go talk to the preacher. And he, at the source of every conflict, you're going to find this to be true. And, and it has been. In, in 30 years of ministry, I've never been in a counseling moment ever. Not one. I wish I could say there was one, but there's not one. Where the source of the conflict was always this, man's will versus God's will. Man's desire versus God's desire. 100% of the time. Maybe both couples, uh, both of the people in the conflict, it's, well, this is what I believe, and this is what I want. Well, this is what he does, and this is what she does, and here's what this is, and this is how this happens, and why are we here, and this is what's going on, and, and on and on and on. Or it could be one that, well, this is where I'm at, and the other one says, but listen, I know what, I know what God's will is according to his word. You cannot know what God's will is if you don't know his word. The scripture says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Knowledge of what? His word. And his word teaches that his way is not burdensome. But the source of every conflict is an individual's desire, his wants, his needs, our want, my want, my need, and in conflict to the will of God. 100% of the time. The Bible, and what I learned in this great process, is that the Bible answers every single conflict that is common to man. There's not, we spent the next 30 weeks of defining conflict, any conflict, politically, culturally, relationships, anything, individually, sexuality, it didn't, it didn't matter. That you just, all these wonderful minds and, and, and all of these united people in this particular effort uh, 
studying and studying and studying and studying and trying to find a conflict that the word of God didn't completely and fully answer. And there is none. There, I not, and the, more, the older I get, the more that I'm convinced of it. You give me a conflict, and I, I, I can assure you, the will of God, as it's revealed in Scripture, will always, without flaw, irrefutably, irrevocably, have the answer. There's nothing hidden under the sun that God in his will has not taught us, has not instructed us, and not formatted for us. Our conflict always goes back to Eve in the garden. You go to Genesis chapter 3, and the serpent uh, approaches her. And she only had one, one thing, just one, one conflict. There was no conflict in her marriage. There was no conflict with her health. There was no conflict with Adam and Eve's uh, relationship. There wasn't any, they weren't raising children. There was no health, there was no financial conflict going on. Everything was provided for them. They're in the Garden of Eden, but there was one thing. You don't eat one thing, just one. You don't eat from the fruit of this tree. And so where does the conflict begin? Not with God's will, but our desire. So spiritual warfare, Satan, did God really say? Well, yeah, he did. Yes, he did say. And then Satan says, God's a liar. But she didn't. I don't think she believed Satan, not really. Because the scripture says she looked at it, she saw it, and she desired it. The scripture says the eyes, the desires of the eyes cannot be fulfilled. The conflict that you and I have is not with the word of God is always true and right. The conflict is our desires. Started in the garden and it continues today. And, and maybe we're not even aware of the inevitable. Jesus tells a story in the gospel of Luke of this wealthy man who owned a whole lot of stuff. And he said, I'm going to build more. I'm going to increase my barns. I'm going to increase my kingdom and it'll be well with my soul. And Jesus teaches, says, you fool, you fool. Your very life will be required of you this evening. The will of God, the inevitable. Do we live our lives? Are we so consumed by our desires that everything that we're doing then doesn't even weigh the reality of the inevitable? We just don't live like we may die. And we may die walking out this building. We may get the cancer diagnosis. The stock market may crash. The banks may fail. The border may collapse and a war at our doorsteps like maybe we've never seen. Our urban cities may just continue to rot. Is it inevitable? And if in any of those things happen, maybe there'll be a betrayal in your family. One you didn't see coming. And in the midst of all that, where are you and I thinking? What's the basis for our life? What's the foundation of our spirit? 
in this hearing, in this building, we are called Christian. We proclaim that we are followers of Christ. And yet, we too have that conflict. Paul said it in Romans chapter 7. Why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? You go to Galatians in chapter 5 and 6, and, and it says the deeds of the flesh are very obvious. They're just obvious. And the fruits of the Spirit, that's what these are. Gentleness and patience and joy and peace and kindness and love and self-control. But the conflict. The conflict is with my desire versus the will of God. And so I'm going to finish here this morning because I I want us to see this. I want you to go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We're just going to review this quickly and I'll have a handout next week that is uh, recaps this. And then the answer um, to the inevitable, inevitable in our conflict. But in the fourth chapter of James, and he is the half-brother of Jesus, he writes in this letter, Verse 1, chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members, our body? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? The inevitable. Our desires versus the will of God. Do you not know Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There's a conflict. Have you ever felt that God was your enemy? Well, there's the answer. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Again, there's a quoting of scripture, but it says, do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? Over the years in ministry, uh, there's been this dynamic at play that uh, you see it, you see it, you saw it in the garden. There are those that know the word of God. That Eve knew the word. There was only one word. They only had one. But then the rest of the Bible, you could just, whether it's the nation of Israel, the kings, the prophets, uh, you could just move forward. And for today, the body of Christ... There was always a word, there was always a word, and then there is the word, and it is eternal. And it's like a two-edged sword, and it cuts both ways. But I remember being in this uh, years and years ago, and in, in, uh, it was the first church, and we had about 27 elders and deacons, and two of the deacons were at war with one another, and, and uh, they had been a business dealing, they were going to sue one another. So the elders call them in, and they have this discussion. And both these men were deacons, and they're sharing the scripture with them. And the will of God is very clear in that scripture. And, and, and I was shocked because I was young and it was my first church. And, 
And I heard the one man say, he says, I know what the scripture says. And I don't care. This is business. So there's that. Then you have Eve. Well, yeah, he did say, but the desire was greater than the word of God. Conflict, inevitable. And then you have people that just don't know. Now, I remember when this was taught to me years and years ago, that the, the church, the body of Christ doing ministry. I love, listen, I love the benevolent part of ministry. I love the Bible study part of ministry. I, I love the counseling. I, I, I enjoy the study and the preaching. And I really do. And I remember uh, one of the professors saying, this will be the greatest source of conflict that you'll find in the church. And they would, listen, and these guys were historic and they were biblical and they were mentors and they were spiritual. And, and I remember not necessarily believing it at the time. He said, Your biggest, the biggest source of conflict that you're going to have in the body of Christ is based upon that passage. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. There is just the desire that Eve had that negated the will of God. There is the desire of somebody knowing the word of God. I just don't, I'm not going to do it. There is the other that says, don't talk to me. I don't really want to know the scripture for whatever it is. But then there is even the greater realm. They don't know the will of God. Now, I put that on preachers and elders, but I cannot put it just on preachers and elders. Because the scripture says that each one of you and I are to examine ourselves. We're to be prepared in and out of season to give an answer for what we defend and what we believe according to the will of God. We're supposed to be on the alert. We're supposed to examine ourselves and we're supposed to, Philippians, work out our salvation. Each of you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the only way any of that can be accomplished is a dedicated determination to know, know, know the word of God. It's easier to be a friend of the world. It's easier to make Christianity something convenient. It's easier to follow the desires of my eyes. And the truth is, do you think that the scripture, scripture speaks to no purpose? And I remember this gentleman saying, the church is full of people that actually need to answer that question. Do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? Because there's only two things that are inevitable, death and the will of God. And the only place that you'll ever know, learn, and develop yourself from the word of God is the scripture. And I remember him saying, and Jim and David said, the church is full of people that live like the scripture speaks to no purpose. And then he says in verse 6, but he gave, he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the word of God. 
That's inevitable. And judges the law. But if you judge the law, the word of God, you're not a doer of the law, the word of God, but a judge of it. Could you imagine? Could you ever put yourself in a position like that? Have you ever been in a place where you would speak against a brethren or a brother or you judge that brother against what the word of God says? When you and I do that, we judge the word of God. And we're not a doer of the word, but we're a judge of it. Could you imagine the most terrible, inevitable moment of a person's life is to be someone who is not a doer of the word of God, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy But who are you, who am I, who judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there, engage in business and make a profit. Remember what the writer of the Proverbs wrote? Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. It's inevitable. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's a powerful chapter. It's a consequential chapter. It is an inevitable chapter chapter it is a chapter that reveals the will of God but it's also a convicting and demanding scripture now so we'll move into next week because because the word of God then gives us two answers of how to live in the reality, the foundation of the inevitable and have assurance and have assurance according to the will of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise your name. We're grateful that you would give us the gift of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that we would not grieve it. Help us not to grieve your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would increase the desire in each and every one of us to know your will and live according to it. Father, as we approach the day of death, as we approach the day of our death, and we do not know, we ask that you instill in us the desire of your son. Just as you've given us his spirit, Father, we pray that you just... Increase the desire that we have in our heart, our mind, and our spirit, in our living to just, not just want him, but to be like him, to be like him. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.